Welcome back everyone to R2Cast number 70. Today, as I say every time, is an interesting one, but it's an interesting one for two reasons. One, interesting story about an interesting organisation, but two, because it is the start of our new series as part of the R2Cast, which I can't come up with a cool name. R2Cast was really fun, but I can't seem to come up with anything for R2 this, and we'll get there soon enough. It's going to be a group podcast, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have charities, I'm going to have breed societies, I'm going to have Maybe, maybe a committee, your local Young Farmers Club, that sort of thing. A group of people talking about one organisation, hearing from different sides of that organisation and what all those people involved have done with the past their life and what they're doing as part of the, the organisation now. So it's, it's a new challenge. Really looking forward to it. Um, back in R2Cast number 62, I filmed with my dad. I am currently today going to be filming with, as well, there's going to be five people on camera today. Uh, but one of them is uh, an uncle of mine. Uh, so he is uh, one of the people involved in today's organisation, which is Countryside Learning Scotland. Um, I'm not going to try and ruin any ex- uh, given examples about what they are or, or all that sort of thing. So I'm going to pass you on to uh, Ian. So Ian Robertson um, is going to tell you about who he is, his role in CLS. Yep, got it right that time. Um, and then we'll move through the rest of the team. So Ian, would you like to say hello and tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Wallace. Um, so I'm executive director of Countryside Learning Scotland. Uh, we are a, a charity, um, but we're also a, a, a business. Before we get on into another excellent episode of the R2 cast, I would just like to thank the sponsor for the show today, The Scottish Farmer, a weekly magazine highlighting everything you need to know regarding the Scottish agricultural industry, whether it's breaking news, events happening in the sector, market reports, classified ads, or just wholesome stories happening in the industry. The Scottish farmers got it for you. So we're, we're keen to try and promote uh, the countryside in general. We, we're trying to place ourselves uh, in the third sector, really as the organisation who delivers education across all aspects of rural. And that includes everything from recreation and adventure through to traditional land uses. Uh, and also um, the the environment and conservation areas of careers particularly, which is is obviously a key area uh, moving forward at the moment in the countryside. So my own background, um, um, my career started as a countryside ranger in Muirshield Park in Lochwinach. I started there as a seasonal ranger before um, moving into my real passion at the time, which was rugby union. And I worked for Scottish Rugby for about 12 years. Um, as a development officer, coached at uh, district level, worked with international teams, was lucky to do that and had a, had a great experience there, which taught me a lot about organisation of events, project management, a uh, huge, you know, really diverse range of transferable skills in there. Um, came out of rugby union and went into uh, promoting uh, tourism in country sports, so quite specific on the country sports side, which was my my real passion in, in life, and uh, obviously with relations in the farming industry, uh, one of which is uh, running this podcast this evening. Uh, we had a, a bit of a broad spectrum of of uh, the traditional side of rural life, um, but also trained at Jordan Hill College um, in sport in the community, and was very heavily involved in, in that. Uh, and recreation adventure through that. So very much a foot in, in what I saw as both sides of the, the, the countryside and the opportunities that people have within these in the countryside to improve their lives, whether that be through hunting, fishing and shooting or whether it be through kayaking, rock climbing, sports, whatever. So 
well placed to be sitting in this position with with a a, a broad spectrum of opportunities in the countryside for health and well-being as and also with the new well relatively new opportunity of environmental issues that are, are um you know that everybody's having to work with now quite rightly uh, and we're just trying to be in a position where we can stay very apolitical and just deliver the reality of the countryside and the balance of social, economic and environmental uh, issues. I think there's, there's an awful lot of silo groups at the moment who are very passionate about either particular species or particular areas of country life. And personally, uh, I don't think that's particularly helpful. So part of my um, interest in getting involved in this was to try and reduce conflict in the countryside, more understanding, more respect for different industries uh, and, and you know, understanding that we have to feed the country. We also have to provide jobs in the rural sector. We have to improve the community um, and give community opportunities and retain community aspects um, and retain young people in these communities. So all of these aspects came together to produce uh, the, the plan we have for CLS, which we will go into a bit more depth later. So I moved on. To, yeah, sorry, Wilson. No, it's just been very good. Actually, quite a good time here there. We will jump back onto that to to move on to the rest of the team we have on the call. Uh, we've got we've got we've three other people here at the minute. Maybe expecting one more. Um, had some Wi-Fi issues, and to be honest, I was late myself. Uh, Brian, it makes sense to jump on to you next purely because I was introduced to you first. Could you tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, who you were before before you were involved with uh, Country Learn Scotland, um, and and what brought you here? Yes. Hi, Wallace. Hi, everyone. Um, so uh, my name is Bryony. Um, I'm the uh, Regional Coordinator for Pathways for Rural Work in the Cairngorm. So my work is very much with the schools in and around the sort of geographical boundary of the National Park. Um, I suppose my route into this is perhaps not quite as uh, linear and, and closely connected as um, Ian's and perhaps the other guys here as well. So um, I started out as uh, in the health and well-being sector, actually, um, running my own business as an acupuncturist. Um, and when COVID hit, a lot of my work dried up. I was furloughed. Um, everything looked a little bit uncertain. So I spent a lot of time thinking about perhaps what my next steps were. And it comes back to what was important to me, what I valued in my own life. Uh, and I'd say the countryside uh, and our kind of natural environment is a really important part of always. It's certainly very important to me. Uh, and that prompted um, a bit of a career change. I came up to Aberdeen and studied ecology and conservation master's degree uh, and decided that I wanted um, to promote the countryside to everybody, whether that was through work, through living, um, through recreation and uh, kind of led me to this role in Countryside Learning Scotland, which is very much a kind of people orientated at the kind of people interface of countryside. I think that sort of people interface is important. And I, I very much feel that like, no matter what business you're in, even if it's some kind of techie business, that that sort of um, people side is the most important thing, especially if you're dealing with kids. And especially if you're dealing with an industry like, I'm going to say ours when I'm specifically agriculture, but the rural industry where, where that's, that sort of face-to-face -face is so important. You mentioned at the start as well, Bryony, that your, your entrance into this wasn't as linear as Ian's and, and sort of almost 
when you look at Ian's sort of background, almost everything he's done seems to lead to this. Yeah, uh, I think that's just as important. You know, there's so many transferable skills along, say, different industries everywhere, and uh, you'll be picking up various things from like health and well-being, like you said, and, and everything's important. Health and well-being very important in education. You know, um, so yeah, thank you to that. I'm sure we'll come back. Well, I'm not sure we will come back because otherwise, it is if that's your time. Uh, that, that was good to hear. Um, Kirsty, could you tell us a bit, a bit about your background? Yeah, sure. Hi, Wallace. Uh, Kirsty here um, from Rural Click Manager. Um, I am the part-time um, fundraising and comms communications coordinator. Um, my background um, a long time ago uh, was initial degree in marketing and comms, and I worked in the financial sector, um, working for Scottish Widows and um, Tesco Bank, um, selling, basically communicating about financial products. I did that for a number of years and we moved down south. Then I worked in PR agencies, um, actually a rural base. It's funny how these things work out. I actually worked in a barn conversion on a farm in Oxfordshire a very long time ago. But <laughs> it was a very corporate world I worked with and I was based in a beautiful place. And actually where I got my first Jack Russell, but that is a, a side story. <laughs> and um, so I worked in PR down there for, for quite a while and then with, with my husband's job and we come back up here and I worked again in communications for the third sector. Um, I then stopped to start a family. Um, I studied a postgrad environmental management and uh, worked for SEPA for the, some people would say the other side sometimes, depending on what sector you work in. So I worked for SEPA and communications um, for a couple of years there. Um, and then uh, I had a wee bit of time off and I needed something quite flexible, which was, I saw this job came up really. I knew a couple of the trustees and people that were involved in the charity. Um, the outdoors and the countryside has been a massive part of my life. My mum's side of the family are farmers, so I spent a lot of time on farms growing up in the school holidays, lambing season, etc. Spent a lot of time walking the hills. Um, so it was a way of combining my skills, which is marketing and PR, with my interests and how I spend my time and with kind of getting as many people to learn about the benefits of being outside, whether you're urban or whether you're from that background or not. And that was sort of the, the draw. My job really is to support these guys who are actually at the coal face, if you like, going out actually to doing all the work with the young people and to help them communicate it, to help them, you know, the stories behind it, how to explain to people what's involved um, to sort of make it sort of, you know, so less dry to get, get, get their interest and see the sort of myriad opportunities that are available. So that's my job. And the other part of my job, which I spend a lot of time doing, is getting money in. <laughs> to keep us going it's important very important <laughs> if we're not here we can't do anything <laughs> these things are difficult to do no money that's for sure uh, no. and it, it'll probably be a thing i actually come up come up to as we as we move on we're all going into this very questionable winter financially uh, some of us maybe in better places than others given but uh, with rural education with the whole idea of getting food on the plate to the masses is, is one question that we don't know what the answer to is we might even talk a bit about that um, as we go uh, what what did the um, what did the masters involve, Kirsty? Just out of interest. Actually, um, I'm not sure they knew what I was going into. I thought it was sort of greener and more conservation based than I realised. So it was Oxford Brookes University I did that, and they're very well known for their environmental impact assessment course and their strategic environmental assessment. Right. So that's what I became qualified to do. I learned about um, things I haven't used, to be honest. Um, I've never actually done an EIA in the real world and, um, yeah, yeah. and contaminated land and a little bit of conservation because I chose that. So it really qualified me to go and work for an environmental consultancy, basically. Excellent. And you mentioned about you, said you were with SEPA for a bit and sometimes yeah. they are died. And, and that's a narrative we've got to change. You know, it, it's so true. Um, 
and and I, I have agricultural students. Some of them are sixteen, and that's such a clear you know thing. And it, we we brought a, a lady Jackie uh, Jackie McComb from Sheepa in to to meet your students last year last week, and they were like, oh. That makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah, exactly. It does make sense. Uh, that's is, so true. And I think the trouble with, I think a lot of it is just with us sort of government organisations, this can happen sometimes. It's a communication that can let let us down, let them down sometimes. Yeah. And I worked in the no, Water Framework Directors, and it's quite complex. Yeah. You know, I think it's just kind of simplifying things. No, very. And uh, the last person to introduce, last but by no means least, uh, first off, who I think has got a fantastic name, Tors, uh, <laughs> would you like to say hello and tell us a bit about yourself? Yes, uh, nice to meet you, Wallace, and everyone. Um, yes, <laughs> I'm Tours. It's short for Victoria, so my, my my full name isn't as exciting as what most people <laughs> know me as. <laughs> but yes, um, so my background. Um, originally, I started off as a geography teacher in secondary schools after doing a geography degree. So come from a bit of a, a different slant into it, um, and. Though I was teaching, um, I realised the bit that I loved about it was being outside. So my career took me outside and into rural areas fairly quickly by working for a, um, a national for the Field Studies Council. So worked oh, yeah. as a tutor doing field work and actually adventurous activities as well, which I did for over a decade. Um, working with them so teaching but also out and about and dealing with a whole load of different issues between um, and, and helping young people to achieve um, qualific their qualifications through schools so I was in that role for a while working at different sites across the UK and then went into uh, work for another charity in the Cairngorms for a while and had done a day or two actually with uh, um, CLS through previous work with Field Studies Council and went into the role because I wanted to work again more with schools so came back to doing some more work with schools and staying outside so I, th I think I've always been drawn more to the outside even though I love working with young people and and working in that arena you know I grew, I grew up in farming and I grew up in rural areas that that's there's always been that draw there so that's kind of been the theme through most of the work that I've done. Yeah, and the opportunity to combine the two is just after, you know. Uh, no, brilliant, brilliant. Um, and I probably should say, I forgot to say this off camera, this is the first time I've ever done this sort of group thing. So I'm going to say one thing. I wanted to get to know you all first and get the viewers to know you all. And uh, if you're listening, guys, I hope um, that's to the viewers. I assume you guys are hearing me. Uh, <laughs> the viewers, if you're still listening, uh, let me know. Give me some tips about this time of podcast type. This is new to me. Uh, I've obviously done 69 before now, but 78 here uh, is, is the first time trying this. So any tips would be great. One thing I'm going to say, I'm going to throw a few questions out that are sort of just questions. I'm not going to direct anything directly anymore. Um, so just whoever you think is best to answer it between the 48 you guys can decide. Uh, first off, I assume this is more a, a, certainly a starter for Ian, but... Um, why you sort of alluded to it earlier, Ian? But why did you start this? And also, playing how, how old is this? So the, the organisation's been running since two thousand and three. Um, we were initially uh, set up through the Scottish Country Alliance. Um, I then came back into this in two thousand and fourteen, um, and at that point, uh, I spoke to the trustees and directors regarding the. Uh, the support we had through the Scottish Country Alliance. 
And for me, that was too narrow a field. Um, it, they were very focused, obviously, on, on traditional rural sports. Um, and I, I, I had a different vision, uh, along with one or two of the trustees who decided that we should expand what we did. Uh, and from an education point of view, the, the countryside doesn't work in silos. It needs to be looked at holistically. So that decision was made. We rebranded as Countryside Learning Scotland in 2014. And, uh, and from there, uh, the focus was very much to look at um, expanding into all aspects of the, the industries that underpin the opportunities, but also the opportunities themselves that are provided for people to engage with the countryside across the whole gambit. Of, look out your window. And the, 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 I actually, when I took the job on, um, I was working for a, a private estate at the time and uh, I went up onto the top of the hill with a notepad and sat down and asked myself the question, what can I see around about me that could be educational to, to young people or any people for that matter? And I think about four hours later, I was still writing. And I thought, <laughs> how, how the hell am I going to get this into, you know, with at that time, one part-time member of staff plus myself, how, how are we going to deliver something of meaning that's going to actually make a difference? So over the last six or seven years, we've now built up to... Um, Obviously, the, the, the three girls that are here and the staff that are here, plus Douglas. Uh, um, so we've now got you know a, a good head of staff around the country. We're aiming to get better coverage as we go forward and more funding to do that. Um, but in reality, that that was the picture. It was it was trying to take something from a one day a week event, or sorry, one day a year potentially or, or, or less for young people. Like most third sectors have the capacity to deliver, um, third sector organisations. Sorry. Uh, but actually, how much good does that do? Taking a young person in primary four or five, giving them a day out in the countryside in one particular sector um, and expecting that to engage them. It may it may or may not, but the reality is there's, no, there's not enough follow through. So we wanted to create a program that um, was more focused on secondary school for starters, because there was a real gap there. We, reckon we did a bit of feasibility work and realised that there was really good work going on with organisations like RET and, and many other organizations that were delivering in the third sector at primary level uh, but the secondary school stage was really difficult because it was focused on subject and subject based so getting large numbers of young people through the program was difficult but actually since we started this program and focused on secondary age group uh, and a progressive program of awareness into work experience and placements and then into that transition phase for kids through into work uh, creating that progressive pathway in geographical areas is becoming really successful. And the businesses who are obviously going to benefit from this with having more better skilled young people coming out of school and being more aware of the opportunities in the rural sector, um, you know, they're beginning to see the benefit of it and are, are excited by it because recruitment is a big issue just now. You know, there's no doubt about that. I think you're right about that gap. I mean, I've, I, I meant to put you in touch with a guy called Alex Reynolds, who's very much inside the school's side of things from a secondary perspective, and that's a place he wants to push, because Rhett is, is doing well at primary school, sort of getting that, this is what a farm is, yeah, getting yeah. that grounding. But you made a really good point there about sort of that transition from event to normality. Like, it should just be part of the curriculum. <laughs> I mean, we yeah. learn about so much in school, and there's all this rural industry that I'll, you, I remember you said, is it not something like, 96% of uh, the land that kids are coming from going into school or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, so the, the, the government the government statistics, Scottish government statistics are 98% of the Scottish land mass is classed as rural and 17% of the population live in that land mass. 
Now you can argue you can argue that you know out of that seventeen percent that are living rurally, there's probably I mean this is not a statistic but I imagine maybe four percent of that are people who are directly linked to working in the countryside. Mm-hmm. So it's a tiny community with a so we've got this massive uh, conflict between a, a very rural country and a very urbanised population that, that we want to engage with the countryside but in a very responsible manner with an understanding and respect of the industries that drive it. And that's what's missing for me at the moment. And you know, the media portray a very romantic, fluffy, you know, world that's be, that, that, that is out there. But in actual fact, it's only there in the, in, the, in the way that it is because it's been created by the private sector and, and people who run the countryside and work in the countryside. So our role is really to try and give that information out to the general public through young people, but also to make them aware that, yes, you can go and enjoy it and recreate in the countryside responsibly, but also there's a work opportunity there if you want to go down that route. And that's really what Pathways to Rural Works about. It's just what it says in the tin, providing that progressive pathway through secondary education to go from either just to engage with it and enjoy it and understand it more at the younger age groups, or to continue that that progression and, and look at becoming somebody who works in the industries that provide that opportunity or provide food or provide tourism or provide whatever, uh, hospitality, you know, whatever it may be, the trades, you know, all the the rural trades and so on. You know, people who are, you know, window cleaners, for example, in urban environments generally use use stepladders. But if you're trying to do window cleaning in a a castle in the middle of the island, you need a rope access qualification, you know. So there's all sorts of additional exciting information that's out there for young people. And, And to be honest, the teachers are the same. You know, our teaching population are, 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 quite frankly, in the same situation as the general population. That most of them, most of our teaching population, are urban people. So we can't expect them to deliver rural information without training them to do so. So part of the program is to train teachers and, and give them that information and give them the awareness of the careers that are out there. And that that program has been really successful. Yeah, definitely, and, and well, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to get through to kids if you're not getting through to teachers. Is it? Yeah. This this is maybe one for everyone. Is it? Is it solely secondary, or are you still in primary schools? Yeah, no. We, we I mean, we are. We, we won't ignore primary schools, but with the resources we have, we have to focus quite closely on delivering this project. Um, so we won't turn down a, school, a primary school if we've got the resources to deliver it. We'll certainly provide them with resources. We'll provide them with links to other organisations. So if they're looking, for, if they come to us looking for something uh, to do with environmental or farming, for example, then we would direct them to RET and, and so on. We'd link up with the other organisations. We're very much a facilitation organisation. What you see in film here is really what we've got as a resource uh, and a fantastic resource it is, but it's limited. And, you know, we want to, with a lot of our events, we can only specialise in so many areas. So we can bring in, um, we, we're connected with all the other rural organisations and where there's a speciality required, we'll request them to come and attend an event and help with that event. So, And that goes for the businesses as well. So we'll bring in private forestry groups to come and show off their fancy machinery or we'll bring in government forestry groups to come and bring their simulator with, like, so they can chop up trees on a, on a video machine you know, and engage kids that way. So yeah, it's very much focused on, on secondary uh, for this, this stage of our our development as an organisation, uh, that's not to say we'll not go back to, to that as we progress and, and hopefully expand enough to build to engage primary as well. 
Yeah. I think that's yeah. what sets us apart slightly as well, because we are the only, and I use this in fundraising applications all the time, we're the only Scottish, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but we are the only Scottish charity within the rural sector that works solely with the secondary sector. So, you know, okay. that, that that is our area of expertise. So whereby obviously, as Rob, Ian said, we wouldn't, um, you know, turn schools away as such. That is our, you know, that is our niche, if you like. That's good, though. And as I said, it's a niche that's sort of missing. It really is. We've got the sort of, the nursery stuff's probably good. They're covering it. They're talking about farm animals. And then you get into primary school, and I think Rhett are filling that niche. And then you go past secondary school, and there's SRUC, and there's other options outside SRUC as well. And Or you go out with Scotland for that sort of thing. You're at the age you can do that. But that, that secondary niche was really missing something aside. Um, George, you were a geography teacher. Apart from... I mean, I'm just sort of trying to take myself back to secondary school. Apart from talking about subsistence farming in South America and stuff and geography, higher geography, I don't really think I did anything on the on the farming side in secondary school. So, um, and correct me if I'm wrong there, Torres, maybe there is more in that side of things. But uh, so, yeah, there, there, there is farming within the, the, the geography syllabus. But again, you have to remember they're working with the resources that they have. And as much, you know, we have to do as much as possible to kind of help and um, and and promote and also give them up to date information about what's going on because it, it's very easy when you're only teaching a topic for you know a couple of weeks to use the resources that you know work and are there and that are being taught across and also remember you're teaching to a, um, a specification for the, the students to be able to achieve their qualification. But some of that can go out of date very quickly. I mean, I, I, I remember myself going through school and being taught about CAP when I knew CAP was no longer <laughs> some, <laughs> something that, but it was, it was in the syllabus. So yeah. that was what the information they had to put across rather than actually what was more up to date. And I, and I suppose we give the opportunity to allow students to find out about what's happening in rural areas now and also what will potentially be there in the future when they come out of school or come out of university whatever pathway they choose that you know the careers that were potentially there in in the past or what they perceive as the career isn't actually what it is on the ground now and and that's important for them to understand and understand the skills they might need from from school as well to make the most of those careers and and to actually have their eyes open when they go into them i think you put that very well there that the sort of showcasing careers that they're not strictly the way we see them on telly or we know that's really good point never fully considered that in fairness um one thing that i always talk about was when i was in school uh there was a, I vividly remember this mind map that was on a notice board in my school that said, and this was just agriculture, agriculture, and there honestly must have been a hundred little jobs that came off of that mind map, and I wish I'd taken a photo of it, and if there was one, just the rural sector, I mean, you would create a world, you know, there's so much in this industry, and I think, I have a lot of students that come on, and I'm like, you know, what's your plan, and they'll be like to work on a farm, perfect, by the way, very important, and um, you know, milk cows, drive tractors, all this sort of thing. And there's normally one in the class that will say something along the lines of sales or that sort of thing. And you see them like, oh, yeah, I can do that. That's another thing that's related. So, yes, it's, it's there's it's a massive industry. And I think you guys are doing a great job of sort of, of, of showcasing that to, to the secondary pupils. Um, 
Brian, I think, we're, I think we're, sorry, just before you go on, I think the perception, one thing we've found as we've run this programme is that, is that as, as Torres highlighted, the perceptions are always dangerous in every industry and people think they know everything about everything, but actually when you dig into it, we, we all know nothing. And, and I think that it's become very clear that, you know, the perception of rural careers to, and I'm, I'm very general here, of course, there's teachers who have got very in-depth knowledge about this and and if the pupils in that school are lucky enough to have an individual like that, they get to know about this. But in reality, um, the perception is still that for rural, read shovel and dung, manual labour, low-level, low-paid jobs, which are actually, as you know, in farming, are less and less now because of technology, because of IT and so on. And, it's, and part of our training programme is based around two, two areas. One is future of rural, which Torres has highlighted, and that we look at that specifically to each area. So in the northwest, for example, um, fish farming is a big employer, crofting is a big employer. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the east and Tayside, um, arable farming is a big employer, horticulture is a big employer, so it's different geographically. So we're trying impart that knowledge but to the future of rural is important but also diversity of rural is the other aspect of training to show people and showcase what rural does offer and as you've highlighted you know uh, who would have thought that a window cleaner would have used this example already we need a rope access qualification you know so you know there's there's many many transferable skills but also there's the for want of a better phrase the professional careers you know the the the, the the rural solicitor who specifically works with private estates, there's factors, there's, you know, there's all the professional careers that actually people don't get. They think, still think of rural uh, and the perception is it's just about manual labour careers. And that's something we're desperately trying to break. You know, we've had schools coming to us saying, uh, you know, uh, you're not getting the UCAS students because they're going to university. That's not relevant. And the teachers generally believe that when that's the fact when you then highlight to them the rural careers that are high-level careers, they go, oh, oh, well, maybe we better bring them along then. So there's that sales pitch we've got to do to the schools to say, don't miss, don't miss out for these students. It's not just the kids who are struggling academically we want. We want them as well, of course, but we also want the whole gambit. And I think that's a perception that needs to be broken in secondary schools, and we're, we're doing our best to do that. And the, the, there's the, the, the term you used there, Ian, you know, kids struggling academically. It's There's, there's more... There's more metrics to sort of knowledge than just knowing eight or nine subjects in school. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's so many, so many perfect examples of folk leave school and then they shine. I mean, you probably know just as well as anyone. I was okay at school, but really didn't do well. Went to uni sort of in the mindset that I kind of just want to have fun here uh, and then realised, oh, wait, this is for me. And then I went on and did a master's degree because I just loved the thing I was doing. There's so many different ways or you can go in, you have practical skills, practical knowledges, there's so many so many different careers out there. Um, I'm conscious of, I mean, I spoke to Brian. I've never actually fully spoke about her role in, in the organisation. Brian, could you tell us a bit about uh, with CLS? I, I focused more on, on your time before and forgot to ask about that side of it. <clears throat> Sorry, so repeat that question. The time, my time before CLS? Yeah, no, it, I, I focused more on that before. I forgot to ask you about your sort of actual job with, with Countryside Learning. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so um, so I delivered the Pathways to Rural Work project on the ground. So the five schools I work with are uh, King UC, Grant and Grammar, um, Speyside High, Afford and Aboyne Academies. Uh, so there's five very geographically spread schools with very different um student interest, student passions, kind of very different um, 
rural landscapes around them um, and uh, lots of different knowledge sets as well within the school and within the students. Um, so my work is very much figuring out, teasing from the schools where perhaps they have gaps in that knowledge and gaps in those experiences and plugging those with um, hands-on experience days, um, with work placement opportunities, um, skill development opportunities, um, all of those kinds of things, everything that's encapsulated in that, uh, the, that pathway Ian was talking about earlier of from very much of the awareness phase and just an understanding of what's going on around them and the activities that happen and where they fit within that right through to I know what career I want to, to go into, what steps do I need to take and, and facilitate them on those steps. Excellent. And it's we mentioned earlier that sort of idea, and I'm guessing the answer to this question is going to be slightly away from what I was probably expecting had I thought this an hour ago before I started speaking to you. You sort of tried to move away from that event of, of, of rural education and, and really trying to change that sort of into this should just be here, which is which is great. Um so I'm I'm guessing it's not you guys go into schools, it's more you spend time with teachers, you spend time um sort of speaking with with do you speak with sqa that sort of thing as well so an integration into curriculum how does that side of countryside learning actually work well i definitely say it's it's partnership based everything is about uh capturing that individual that knows the most or mm. perhaps can can talk about it as passionately and with as much information knowledge as possible and sharing that through uh those events so we're certainly not and cannot be experts in absolutely everything and, and rightly not um so it's about picking on and, and reaching out to organisations, businesses, um, education organisations, and essentially tapping into their skills and knowledge to share that and, and kind of inspire students through their, through them. Yeah, that, that partnership side's important and, and everyone being involved. And it, it would be silly to assume there's going to be someone that was a master of all trades and and that's where you're probably that's probably where the flaws have became in. You mentioned earlier, Tors, about the whole idea of you've got a geography teacher and suddenly they've got to know uh, the farming side, they've got to know all this, and, and you sort of you almost what's the, there's a name in the States for it. Is it the peanut butter effect or is it the peanut butter jelly effect or something like that? Spreading yourself too thin, trying to learn everything, but not really actually learning it with much, much um much depth, I guess. Um one thing I quite like to ask a lot of people that come on the podcast, whatever they do, is how did COVID impact things? Did that change things? This might be more an Ian question, or maybe not. I'm just guessing there. But uh, how did that? How did that impact the sort of operations day to day? Well, I think I think it, it certainly impacted the the, the rest of the, the staff uh, differently than it impacted me. From my point of view, it was about how how is this organisation going to survive through this period? Uh, we, you know, our funders were tremendous in that they across the board uh, they recognised that. Um, you know, we had to we had to just take over and survive, and all the plans we had, all the promises we made in our applications, were just not able to be fulfilled. We couldn't get access to schools, so we did our best to, like a lot of organisations, to do what we could virtually. Um, so we set up our teacher training program, which was a face-to-face, on-site program. Uh, we turned that into a a, a four. Uh, session virtual session program with teachers um, and delivered that online which 
Um, of course, didn't have the same quality as face-to-face, -face, but it got the point across and that, that we kept that running. Uh, and we're following that up with uh, practical sessions off the back of these sessions with, with the, the teachers we worked with through that period. Um, we set up a, a, a live chat scenario where we were engaging with rural workers that were out in the field, asking them to take you know, short snapshots of what they do and linking them up in, with uh, you know, live chat with schools. So the kids were in the school, the workers were out in the field uh, and they demonstrated a bit of what they did and the kids asked them questions about their careers and so on. Similar to this, how did you get into it? Where did you come from? Uh, and that sort of thing. So the live chat was set up. So these were actually some real positives from COVID because we've kept them going and, and it allows us to deliver more. Um, as you know, Obviously, the live events take a lot of putting together, a lot of organisation, risk assessments, making sure everybody's safe uh, and so on <clears throat> and working with a lot of partners. So that's much more time consuming. So it was, it was a very useful thing. Financially, um, it basically, I, everybody else was was furloughed and I carried on and managed to fundraise, which allowed us to employ uh, Kirsty with a, a fundraising position. So that's actually helped us to expand the company. It allowed me to focus on one particular area instead of spinning the plates and, and you know keeping the, the company running. So that was, a, there was a, you know, if you want to look at it in a glass half full, there was quite a lot of good things came out of it. The loss was, of course, that the young people that we were just starting the program and we lost a bit of momentum. Uh, but credit to, to to the girls and to Douglas, um, you know, the last six months, the diet, the calendar has just filled up massively. They've just put a great number of events in, and the program's kicking off again. So it put us back a couple of years for sure. But we managed to survive. We managed to grow the organisation even within that period, which not many people did. So we're, we're quite proud of that. Uh, and off the back of that, uh, just a few weeks ago, we got um, the Scottish Land Estates Helping It Happen Award for communities, working with communities uh, for our ADHD Rural Connect program, which is part of Pathways to Rural Work. So these things, these are some things that maybe wouldn't have happened without COVID. We might have been slower in our development, but it gave us a chance to focus in on the business side of it to, to grow the company and to get to where we are now. So but I think maybe interesting to hear what, uh, what the others think about that as well. Definitely, yeah. I can jump in. So um, I'd say, yeah, you know, Ian talks about um, it very much from a CLS perspective, but actually that was kind of mirrored with everybody that you spoke to and wanted to engage with both in schools. It was very much a kind of just trying to get through it and um, and, and kind of meet their basic targets, but, and, but the same with rural businesses as well. And so I think that it felt very much like the doors were closed often and it was about how do you take advantage of what you could do given the restraints and the restrictions so and I you know environments like this were very very familiar but I think you know as we got more used to it, it became as impactful probably not always as impactful but certainly had impact the impact we wanted to achieve uh, in these kinds of environments and I think you, you mentioned these types of environments Brianie thankfully if it, you know if it wasn't for this podcast I would never be on Zoom <laughs> I wanted so far away from Zoom so far away from Teams forever uh, but it's good for this sort of thing and I think I think Ian you and I actually had a conversation once in your living room talking about yes it was boring purely being on that for two years but it has now opened up a lot of opportunities for like I would never be able to do this sort of thing with as many people as I do uh, and, and Zoom and Teams have been the norm. We understand them. Everyone knows what they are now. And there's an opportunity to use them. But it's so much better to venture into that just 
new normal feels wrong now. I think it's just normal. You know, we're normal again. Uh, it's been so much easier for so many things. And you mentioned ADHD. Um, for someone with ADHD, learning or even trying to engage in any form on this type of medium must have been so difficult. Yeah. Uh, and you guys have obviously done well in, in that in that specific uh, sector as well. So that's that's good to hear. Um, what what you mentioned the award there what what was what did you guys do that led to that coming that's just one award obviously but it's quite an interesting one you've mentioned i hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the r2 cast with another really interesting guest i would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today the scottish farmer and i would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry well, I think it was partly, I mean, the, the main programme of Pathways to Rural Work, which is that uh, progressive um, triangle, if you like, of awareness into workplacement, into transition to work and, and of education. Uh, that's the core work of the coordinators. But outside that, we have a Rural Volunteer Award, which is designed to engage businesses to help employees. You, know, you don't go into a rural job to have 30 screaming kids running at you. You know, that's not what most people go into rural work for. So there's an education process required there. And every other industry, my background is in sport, and obviously working with young people, there's a lot of training opportunities there. But there was nothing in the rural sector that was specific to teaching people how to work with young people, how to keep themselves safe, the kids safe, and, and just to know how to teach and, and engage with young people. So we run that programme for businesses and we also run teacher training. So these are the two sort of national programmes we run alongside the regional outreach programme. So that, that programme was obviously we're working with a myriad of partners between Skill Development Scotland, Scottish Land Estates, the Cairngorms partners, so hundreds of partners we're working with now. Um, so, you know, word gets about and uh, we, we were nominated by somebody for the programme through Pathways to Rural Work. We started the pilot with um, Perth Grammar School to look at ADHD and TORS as, as part of TORS's remit to deliver that in the short term um, alongside everything else that she does. But uh, we're desperately trying to fundraise to get enough um, to employ somebody part-time to deliver that specific pilot. But at the moment, we're running that. Again, the programme there is designed to help these young people with um, their, their awareness of self which is part of the ADHD issue, confidence, employability skills, finding out what engages them. And you've highlighted it, Wallace, that, you know, anybody will learn quickly if they enjoy what they're learning. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. <clears throat> you know, if you're shoved behind a desk and you hate it, you're just not going to learn. You're going to rebel whether you've got ADHD or not. And that's, uh, so, so creating that broad spectrum of the diversity of rural for young people with ADHD they may engage with with animals more than they do. They may some of them might engage with machinery. You just until you put them in that environment, you don't know. So basically, we've started that process just recently. Um, we've picked if we're looking at rural businesses around the Perth area. We've got a, a business seminar coming up, sponsored by NFU Mutual, who have been really supportive, and uh, they're they've hosted this event. And we're going to bring in all the, their some of their clients. Uh, it will be rural businesses to try and engage them in the process. So that kind of work has just raised the profile. Now, we have no idea who nominated us for this award. We've tried to find out, but nobody seems to know. So we're quite happy not to know, but uh, whoever it was out there, if you're listening, thank you very much. 
but uh, it's been great, and it's you know to get the, to get the recognition of your peers, which is effectively what it is. Um, is there's nothing better. We, we're on the map now. We've been spending the last seven years trying to get on the map, and we're now on the map. So it's been a real feather on everybody's cap. Credit to all our staff um, and, and the trustees. And you know we feel as if we're making a difference now, and and that that award will definitely help that. And you know the fact that it was for ADHD Rural Connect, which is a tag on to um, Pathways to Rural Work, uh, that doesn't really matter for me. It's the fact that the the the, the rural industries are recognising CLS now as an organisation that delivers across the rural sectors, and that's what's important. You know. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so the answer to the question is I don't know. I don't know who knows. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's it's almost nice you don't know, um, and also not not sponsored by any of you. Mutual you said that, that was there. Well. Um, Torres, could you maybe Ian said you were sort of it was almost part of your remit. Well, not almost. It's part of your remit. Could you maybe mention sort of what sort of things that's involving at the minute with schools and pushing of that? I don't know. Would you call it a project? That's not the word. Uh, yeah, pilot project. Yeah, pilot project. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is a pilot project. So yeah, it, it comes under my remit. So I do a similar role to Bryony in terms of I'm a regional coordinator, but my region is Tayside, which is just slightly bigger than, than Bryony's. Petition here as well. It's what. <laughs> so so I cover um Angus Dundee um Perth and Kinross. Um, so uh, there's around 30 secondary schools within that area. So it's it's working through with those different schools and assessing yeah. assisting them any way I can. Um, and so we've been working quite closely with a person can Ross ADHD support um, with this pilot project. So with it being in Tayside is how it falls into my remit as well um, which is which is how it's become um part of my my role at the moment as we're doing this pilot project um in terms of what that entails for for that specific project is we're working with one specific school which is um Perth Grammar um and working with uh, students that they have um, put forward uh, for this um, and it's it's working in a slightly different way in terms of where as Ian uh, alluded to earlier uh, we're trying to promote the skills that they need for employment because a lot of the stats show that these young people are going to have less access to to employment and that's for a whole variety of reasons and and what we're doing is working on those um their sense of self and their soft skills um and also giving them exposure to different opportunities that are there for them that the some of these students are very disengaged from learning and opportunities that might be out there because again as we've talked about students in the whole they might not be aware of what's even there or possible um so it's it's bringing that forward to them and allowing them to try some of that um, the other part of it as well is working with the employers to help promote that understanding of they may have to have more patience and work maybe slightly differently um, with these young people to allow for the fact that they are still working through the 
best way for them to learn and engage and to take on employment. And that's sometimes just in how they communicate in terms of uh, the best way for them to receive instructions so that they can undertake tasks and then being confident to get that across to somebody in terms of can you break that down for me or can you maybe just give it to me one bit at a time so I can do it and understand it or can actually can you demonstrate it twice because I'll I'll p- I pick it up better that way being able to communicate and say that actually gives them better chances in employment and retaining employment as well so it's it's recognizing those promoting those skills and working that with the young people is is really really valuable in particular for them to to get them into those different roles and opportunities i think i think one of my favorite things as a as an educator is is finding how everyone ticks you know like oh, this person learns that way, this person learns that way. And I mean, my method of teaching the whole group is pretty out there, pretty, let's just have a bit of crack for an hour and a half and we'll cover everything at some point. You know, like that's sort of, and some folk, the majority of folk that works for, because you said, Ian, about um, you've got to enjoy it. It works for that part. Some folk think, well, he's just an annoying bearded man. This isn't doing in for me. And then you find out this thing works for them and a video works for them. It's great. And, and it's good that we're sort of going over that. And Brian, you had said that um, it's important to sort of approach this with passion. And I'm certainly seeing, seeing, nope, seeing between the four of you. Where did seeing come from? Seeing between the four of you that that passion thing is definitely something you none of you are missing. Uh, I haven't met Douglas tonight, obviously, but I can only assume, given the rest of the team, that that, that is the case. Um, and with that we also mentioned earlier that sort of reduction in momentum for you guys because of COVID I've seen it with students you'll have seen it with pupils it hit them from an education perspective as well and this is probably a question for you uh, Kirsty that um, that block there's just this block I've got students that are third year they're a great a great group of students they were my first first years um, but they just had that missed bit um, how how are you guys making sure that that sort of uh, what would I say that progression into post COVID is is hitting as it should? And I assume that involves a lot of funding. And and how does that funding come about, Kirsty? What's involved in 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 gaining that funding? I think when you mentioned about sort of how the COVID affected, and this is this links to it. It's not a positive that's come out of it in any way, but the positive being access to funds. So COVID has caused massive mental health problems for young people. Um, and attendance issues and a, a whole a whole raft of problems in terms of education. But with that is because of the way that we work and because of the outdoor aspect of our work. And one of its benefits being obviously being outside has got huge positive um, impacts in terms of mental health. That really helped us in our application. So we could say, yes, we're all about increasing the number of you know, young people going into the rural industry. But there is this side effect, this byproduct, if you like. At the same time, we're lifting their mental health because we're taking them outside of the classic classroom academic environment and we're giving them, well, you know, it's proven being outside, you know, being in nature, it has a really, really positive effect. So I think that that has enabled us, you know, I didn't have to change anything. We were already doing that, but just funds were available for that because it's been recognized that there are, you know, as I said, there are huge mental health problems within, you know, with a, a lot of young people and they're seeing higher levels of, truancy if you like so attendance statistics are not fantastic and um, well if you've got something to look forward to maybe you are going to turn up 
Um, so th there's, there's that element, I think, that we have been able to sort of um, just naturally um, sort of hook into because we were doing it anyway. Um, does that answer your question? Does it? <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think, Wallace, as well, that the you know young people respond to or have traditionally responded to, to structure. And I think the problem with a lot of this is that COVID destroyed that structure. Yeah. You know, there was there was always a reason not to go, a reason not to do. There was negativity. Um, the day-to-day, -day, you know, structure, sometimes we all complain about it and it's mundane, but actually we thrive on it. And, and the reality is that um, by giving, that by using this programme that's a progression through school, those who do engage with it, we're giving them a structure, whether it's within, it's not necessarily behind a desk, but it's a progression, a structure that they can see from secondary one. And they can mm -hmm. see that, you know, if I want to, if I like this, there is a pathway there. And I think providing that structure um, is the thing that the schools, I mean, we've, we've tried to be very um, empathetic with the schools because obviously the teachers are, some of the teachers have been off, there's been pressure on, on classrooms, there's been more pupils in the classrooms. And in that school environment, there's probably a lack of understanding to a degree from the general public of the pressures that schools have been under. And even now, there's a, there's a catch-up and a knock-on effect uh, because truancy is higher. You know, um, the slightest sniffle of cold and kids are staying off school where they wouldn't before. And that's... <laughs> That's got a knock-on effect to the parents and their business life and them going to their work. And so the whole social aspect is lacking structure because of COVID. And I think what we're trying to do is say, you know, if you want to engage with this, there's a structure here for six years of your life through secondary school that will give you a cracking launch pad into where you want to go. And I think creating that structure, the, the one thing I would say about funding, and it's a bit of a it's a bit of a, a, a plea to funders. Um, is stop giving us six months. I'd rather have, if somebody gives you 50,000 quid for six months, I'd rather have that in two tranches for a year or four tranches for two years to wow. create, create sustainability. It's very difficult to, even to give staff, uh, you know, when you get good staff involved, you want to retain staff, you want to give them a three-year contract. Um, so, you know, funders are, some of them are coming around to that and, and, and it's great, but some of the COVID funding and more so from public sector, um, we're getting six months, you know, here's a here's a tranche of money, it's a good chunk of money, thanks very much, and there's six months. But actually, it, it, it's helpful and it's useful, of course it is, but from a structural point of view, it's better if it's longer term um, and, and engaging with that. And, and some, you have some funders who are beginning to do that and, and, it's, and they're listening to the, the people on the ground like ourselves and they're, they're changing their strategies. So, um, so if there's any funders out there listening, uh, you know, get, help us with that longevity and that structure to give our staff, um, you know, there's nothing worse than being in a job for a year contract and six months down the line, you're looking for another contract and we can't give you it, you know, so that, that's an issue for, for sustainability for, for small charities. I think not less money, but the same money dragged across long, longer time is never as attractive at like that bang attraction, like, oh, the big yeah. thing is next you know, like that, but that security, that, that sort of longevity you talk of is always important. Um, it's one of those things, I've really, I've, <laughs> this is this is going on to talk more about today's podcast, the actual thing we're just talking about, obviously recorded loads of different things with, with individuals over the course of the last 18 months or 20 months, I think, really. Um, and I've sat with couples as well, and I think I've done one podcast with three people, but it's really been quite fun to sit down with uh, four of you today, tonight. Um, and, and see how that dynamic works. I was wonder. I was worried. I wasn't able to make sure everyone spoke, but I, I've heard. I've heard from everyone. I've heard um, 
great stories from everyone and great great stories about CLS as well. Um, in an effort to not talk for two hours, uh, because we're probably around the hour mark, we are, yes, we're at the hour mark. Um, there's, there's two questions I sort of ask at nearing the end of every R2 cast. So I'm going to slightly change them for this group thing because I don't think one of them really works hand in hand. Um, and by the way, if we've missed anything, uh, Ian, Brian, Bryony, not Brian, <laughs> Ian, Bryony, Kirsty and Tors, that, that you would like to say, please say. Um, but I'm going to finish with two questions for, for everyone. Uh, first off, where, where do you see Countryside Learning Scotland being in five years' time? So that would make it, uh, what, so since you really started be, being on board that would make it is that 12 I think um, no 13 uh, and also the second thing was individually if you were to bump into someone and asked you what is countryside learning Scotland what would you say who wants to take that <laughs> well I'd like to hear from Ollie in fairness so everyone's going to have a shot <laughs> well the first thing I'd say is I'm not superstitious but you had to pick 13 years didn't you <laughs> yeah no i think i mean the, the, the big plan really for for this is we think and a number of other people think that pathways to work has got a niche it's got a, there's a need for it the businesses recognize they need more young people coming into the real sector um the teachers recognize that the, the, there is a, a lack of knowledge across the board of teaching about, our, about the rural sector and the reality of it and the jobs and opportunities so there is a need for this project. Um, we've researched it quite deeply before we went into it. Um, Skills Development Scotland and other organisations like Lantra and so on are heavily involved with, with work um, during and beyond schooling. Uh, but this programme, I think, is wider than that. And, and where I would like to see this programme is to have national coverage with full-time coordinators rather than three areas of Scotland with part-time coordinators. And I think uh, that... Uh, the cities are slightly different, uh, but one of our major outcomes is um, to have good uh, community resilience in Scotland, and that's mostly for the rural communities, but uh, the urban areas are where the, the masses are, and, and really a better understanding um, is important for these people about the, you know, how these people can, especially from a health and wellbeing point of view. So I think um, there's probably a new strategy required for the central belt and the cities and how we, how we approach pathways to rural work. It's very different when you're talking about four schools in the northwest, for example, that have a total of 600 kids between the four schools, you know, whereas you might get three times that in a city school, in one city school. So there's a different strategy required for delivery. Um, that's something that I would love to get, get into and love to see um, the city finding out more about the countryside. And I think maybe the different strategy is we've got to take the country to the city rather than the other way around, which we do in the rural areas. So, for example, you know, using Glasgow Green and, and having, you know, large rural events in the city. You know, let's get the countryside to them. And that's something for RAS, it's something for RET, it's something for ourselves, it's something for Rasabi, some of the other big organisations. Um, so I do think if we're going to encourage responsible access to the countryside, and by that I mean not right to roam, but responsible access, um, dogs, keep worrying, you know, accessing responsibly, being aware of industries, all these things that we need to get through to the urbanised population. So it's a slightly different tack and a different strategy. But I think for for pathways to rural work, I think to be covering the majority of the rural areas with full-time coordinators would be our aim in, in five years' time. 
I'm actually just about to get the white tail around the head and write the new business plan. So this will all be coming out in that quite soon. Um, and that would be utopia to achieve that. The slight problem, which you've intimated already, is we're going into a really difficult financial period for businesses to support us, to ask for money from businesses just now is a hard ask. Um, some of the big funding charities will also be stretched because there'll be more requests to them. So it's a difficult financial time. So possibly in the next two or three years, sustaining what we have will be the success with, a, with an aim of five or 12 or 10 or whatever years beyond that. Hopefully the financial world will improve uh, and we can move on to, to, to greater things. But we do ultimately look for, um, oh, who's frozen? Are you frozen? You still there? Still hear you. you still There's hear me? No problem. You still hear you fine. <laughs> ah, okay. Um, yeah, so I think that, that's the plan. That's the future. And I think, um, you know, we, we, ideally we're looking for government funding, as everybody is, to, to support this nationally. Uh, but, we, but we understand we need to show the evidence from the projects running just now that it works. And we need to get to a point where after five or six years, we've got good case studies of young people who've come through the system and have gone into rural jobs that wouldn't have before. That's that's the bottom line. Brilliant. Uh, who next? Brian, eh? five years, where do you see it? Well, if you were to repeat this podcast in five years' time, I think that I'd, I'd like to think, as Ian said, there'd be a lot more of us sat here covering a lot larger <laughs> geographical area. I don't think I can say any more than Ian on that, who's done it, who's kind of captured it perfectly. Um, I suppose the second question, uh, I'll keep it quite short and snappy, I'd say it's an organisation that promotes life and work in all of Scotland's countryside through education. I'd say that, that kind oh, of you, you sold it to me. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, brilliant, brilliant. Um, I like the variation there, that the go over absolutely everything, including the business plan, then Brian's six words just <laughs> brings it all in together. That sounds like I'm saying yours was rubbish, and that's not what I mean. No, no listen, listen, I, I have that reputation, yeah. It must be something in the family, I think, uh, being a blood. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Kirsty and Torres, it'd be quite interesting to hear your sort of amalgamation of five years and what it is to you. Yeah, so obviously I don't disagree with anything that's been said. Is there much left to say? I wish I'd gone first now. Uh, <laughs> no, but I totally agree with um, uh, more regional coverage. I don't know if, you know, I don't know how much we'll be able to achieve in the five years. I'd say it's a difficult climate, but definitely far greater number of people sitting here uh, and, and like Ian mentioned I would like us to have some mainstream funding from the Scottish Government um, and that would just um, really help establish us even more and with that in the same token I'd like better brand awareness for our name so people to know who we are without us having to explain it and um, that, that, that would help us and that just comes with time and, and the more work that we do. In terms of how I would explain it to people I have actually in the village I live in because some people have asked me what you're doing, who do you work for? So um, I use a slightly different language but I say that we um, open up um, young people's eyes to what the countryside can offer them and what we can, what the countryside can offer them and what they can offer the countryside. So it's a two-way process. Yeah. I think it always is. Yeah. Uh, you know, just employment in general or, or moving into moving into any form of work, it's got to be a two-way yeah. two thing or, or it doesn't work. Right. <laughs> um, Doris? Yeah, um, so I definitely agree with what the rest have said um, and I, I would love to see us working, you know, nationally so that we could cover all the secondary schools. I think if I was to go further into the future, I would love to think as much as the others might hate me for saying this, <laughs> that um, there might come a point where 
there wouldn't be the need for us to do the exact jobs that we're doing now that we're so successful that actually the schools know that what's there, they know the opportunities and they're seen in the same way as routes into university are seen and it's seen, you know, rural opportunities are seen as being as vital and critical as other roles um, so that our jobs migrate to be more about helping understand what those future jobs are going to be and, and what's coming for young people that they haven't even envisaged or thought about with you know electronics and and things within rural areas that maybe don't even you know we've not even imagined at the moment and that might become more of our roles rather than the promoting the the education and some of the knowledge um that we're doing at the moment so yeah I, I think that's much further into the future than five years of being realistic I think that's, I think that's right Tors and I think also that the, the the thing, if, if we have learned anything from the last five years in the rural sector, it's the word is, is, is evolved. How quickly has the rural sector evolved in the last five years? It's frightening. And I think, you know, we have to we have to represent that sector and make sure that the next generation understand what's ahead of them. And that's a bit of crystal ball, to be fair. Um, but I think it's a very valid point. I think it's absolutely on the money. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's almost like between what Kirsty and Tor said there, it was almost like the sort of natural aim progression that you're looking for here. Get that sort of like strict government funded backing, massive for you guys to really push this forward into schools. And then that final, this is just now part of the curriculum. We're here. That's that's probably been the long term goal for yourself, Ian, since this was ever a thing, you know, yeah, getting yeah. rural education into schools. Um and, and yeah, as you say then, Tors, that, that looks to different changes in, in what you guys would be doing. Uh, but it's almost like the first goal has been tipped, um, which which will be, as you say, further than five years down the line, I'm sure, but still quite an exciting prospect. Um, it's been good to, to talk about uh, a group of people and meet a group of people and see, not just sort of have a chat with one person and what their role is and what their sort of outlook is on a thing, whatever that might be, and actually see sort of how you work together. And it was quite quite cool to almost sort of build that relationship between you over the course of the hour. And um, I hope I've done you guys justice, first off. Uh, I hope I've hopefully allowed to give you enough of a, a sort of um, a spotlight uh, to show off CLS. Uh, but there's one thing that really stuck with me, and, and it was something you said, Ian, right at the start. Um, was rural educations can't be done in the silos it has to be a holistic approach and I thought that was so true uh, you know we spoke various times throughout about how many parts there is to this whole rural industry the education before getting into that industry uh, so I really liked that and I think when I do post about this this podcast it'll probably be the sort of centerpiece that I'll, I'll mention at first but um would anyone else does anyone else have anything we sort of haven't covered that we'd maybe like to have covered there's one, one area I'd probably like to highlight, Wallace, and that is the, the key to a lot of this um, programme is within the outreach programme in each of the regions. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of the work the coordinators do is engaging with local businesses to get them involved with uh, the education process. It's up to the businesses to engage with that. It's up to their future, depends on them engaging and, and the recruitment of the quality of the staff they take on which fundamentally is a business that's about making money and fundamentally it's about getting good people who can make you that money. So that that's that's subliminal messages lying in there that we need to build that cluster 
of businesses around each school and start to build the partnerships between the school and their local businesses. Uh, and that's a big part of the role as well. And I think that's key to And obviously, there are other organisations in there. I've mentioned Skill Development Scotland, Developing Young Workforce also do that. And we we help them with the rural aspect of that. They cover all industries. And we, we help DYW and work very closely with Developing Young Workforce uh, to do that. So there is government funding in a way there through DYW. But what we're hoping is we can really emphasise that funding into the rural sector, particularly in these rural community areas. Um, but the businesses are absolutely key to the longevity of this programme. We won't always get funding from external areas. And hopefully, if we can see success and the businesses improve, we can then start to engage the businesses with some funding from them. You know, if you get 500 businesses in the local area giving you, you know, 50 quid a year each, then you've got a bit of cash in the pot. So it's just, it's almost like that crowdfunding with the businesses in the longer term. That's going to be a problem in the next few years, as I've highlighted, because of the current financial situation. But hopefully, in time, the, the value will be seen and, and they'll come forward. But, but engaging them to provide venues, engaging them to provide uh, apprenticeships, to provide placements, these are all key factors out with the financial bit that um, we, we really, and, and the staff all do their best to engage businesses as I do with other organisations. So that's a key part of the programme. Very good. Anyone else? Anything else you think we should cover? I feel like it's been very good. I've certainly learned a lot myself. Sounding good. Um, <laughs> perfect. Well, uh, to, to those of you listening uh, and watching on YouTube, I hope you've enjoyed the sort of new feel to this uh, R2 cast, slightly different to the rest. Uh, my plan now is to have four R2 casts coming out a month and two, I better not do that that way, do that that way, get in trouble, uh, two R2 our, our casts with a group coming out every month as well. So for some of the super fans, such as mum and dad, uh, Maria and Gordon, uh, who else? Oh my God, that's terrible. I know there's so many more. Like Charlotte, um, there's there's a lot of you out there that tell me that you listen to every podcast and I appreciate you hugely for that. Uh, that's now going to be six episodes a month instead of just four or the sometimes five if there's five Fridays. So look forward to that. Um, for the four of you on, uh, Ian, Brian, Kirsty, and Tors, I hope I hope you've enjoyed coming on and I hope I hope it's been worthwhile for CLS as well. Um, so thank you to you. Thank you. No, thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Not at all. That's not all. at all. Pleasure. I really have enjoyed it. So for everyone listening, we will see you next week for R2Cast number 71. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you then. Thank you everyone as well. Well, that's it. Another R2Cast finished. Another agricultural mind opened up. And I would just like to say that getting these guests on board uh, does take time. Uh, and it always has done but I've now went weekly and with that comes even more time required and I would just like to finally thank once more the Scottish Farmer for sponsoring the show and making that much more possible. Please be sure to get in touch if you've any ideas of people you'd like to see on the podcast or maybe ideas you have for me presenting better because I definitely do require that. See you in the next one.